right, all right. Well, it's so good to have you here at Faith Church. If you're new, my name's Matthew, and it is a delight to get to open the scriptures and to sing and to worship uh, with you uh, each and every week. If you have your Bibles, join me in Colossians chapter 2. We started a collection of teachings walking through uh, the book of Colossians. We're, we're looking at what it has to tell us on what it looks like for the essentials of living a Christian life. What, what does it mean to live a Christian life? What's essential to that? And we've been looking at, as we do that, some of the essentials of what does it look like to be a part here at Faith Church? What are some of the essentials that we hold to be true and, and meaningful and on point things, our values, if you will, our mindsets. And we've kind of been walking through and highlighting those as they correlate to the scriptures. And so today we're going to read Colossians chapter 2. We're going to read verse 6 all the way through verse 23. Follow along with me uh, with your copy of scripture there, whether in digital or print form, or if you want to use the big digital one up on the screens, you can do that. But here's the word of the Lord, Colossians 2, starting in verse 6, it says this, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him, and let your lives be built on him, built on him, built on Christ. In other words, your life's key identity marker ought to be Christ and nothing else. Your life ought to be built on Christ, not your career. Your life is to be built on Christ, not your status as mom and dad. Your life ought to be built on Christ, not the financial security that you feel you have. Your life is built on Christ, not your hobbies and activities. Your life is built on Christ, not your education. Your life and the key identity marker of your life is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation we build on. Any other foundation we try to build and establish a life on is only sand. And when life throws us a storm, we will crumble because we've built our life on something selfish or self-centered instead of Christ's sufficiency. He goes on to say this, Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught, and you will overflow. Somebody say overflow. With thankfulness. In other words, if you want to tell what you're rooted in, pay attention to the words of your mouth. If your words are always full of thanksgiving, then you're rooted in Christ. But if your words are full of complaint and negativity and uh, 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 pessimism and judgmentalism and criticism, then you are rooted in something other than Jesus Christ. Pay attention to your words. They will let you know what your heart is rooted in. Oh, I love you all. Here we go. Verse 8. Don't let anyone capture you, take you away with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. In other words, it's possible to fall into some things that are not from Christ. Rather, they are human philosophies and knowledge or 
things that we believe inspired by evil spiritual forces. Pastor, you believe in the spirit realm and evil spiritual things? Yes. Why? Because the Bible says so. And Jesus demonstrated so. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. He's talking spiritually there. Verse 11. And when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Praise the Lord. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, cutting away your sinful nature. You were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted in the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature had not yet been cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He's giving you a before and an after. Your BC days have now been buried in the water, and now you're living with Christ on the other side of that with a new nature because your old nature was cut away and thrown aside. So now the operating system of your life is spirit-formed, spirit-empowered, and the life of Jesus Christ living in the inmost being of who you are, which means if you want to live a sinful life, you have to do so contrary to the nature that God's actually given you and brought to life in Christ. And he canceled the record of the charge against us, and he took away it by nailing it to the cross. And in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Friends, this is why uh, we want to encourage you to take the uh, or attend, at least for one semester, uh, the Connect group that we have called Freedom Group. You saw the promo for it. For those of you paying attention to the next step video when it played at the beginning of the service, Freedom Group is a group that everyone in our church at some point really needs to experience and walk through. Why? Because you have a past that needs to get settled in the deep waters of baptism, and you need to understand how to live a life free in Christ. doesn't come naturally. We have to learn. We all need to walk in and learn to walk in the freedom that only Jesus can provide. And we want to help you to do that. That's why that is there, why we offer that for you. He goes on to say this, so don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. We'll come back to that in a minute. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come, and Christ himself is that reality. In other words, all of the ceremonies, all of the celebrations, all of the things that the Jewish people for all time have always done were a shadow pointing to Jesus, and Jesus has now come and fulfilled those very things it was all about christ he goes on to say for these rules are only shadows of this reality christ himself is that reality verse 18 don't let anyone condemn you then by just insulting or insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels um, saying they have had visions about these things their sinful minds have made them proud and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together and its joints and ligaments as it grows, as God nourishes it. Pause. Does God want you to grow? Yes or yes? yes. 
Yes. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. In other words, the enemy and all the evil cohorts only have access to you to the degree to which you give access to them. They have no legal right. They can't influence you. They can't impede you. They can't overtake you unless you invite them in and give them permission to do so. Why? Because Christ's blood has drawn a line and says no more. And you walk in his victory, in his spirit, and you only fall prey to those things that you entertain and welcome in. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about these things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. What Paul isn't saying is that by having disciplines and living a practiced life of faith that you aren't walking in the ways of God or that they're useless to helping you grow spiritually. No, we practice our faith and it's in the practice of our faith that we actually begin to move in the direction of Jesus. What he is saying though is that by doing X, Y, or Z, you're not automatically making yourself more holy. You only think that you're more holy, but you're not actually more holy by doing the thing itself. In other words, you can do something wonderful like serving in the church, but that's not going to keep you from cussing on Thursday. You can show up to First Wednesday prayer and read the word. All these things are good spiritual practices, but those spiritual practices aren't necessarily going to mean that you'll never be tempted again. Or if I, if I hold to all of the Christian customs and I only listen to this and I only do this and I, 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 take, I avoid all of the world around me and, and, I, and I swear off TV and I only eat it at, at Christian places and I only shop at Christian places and I do nothing and I just avoid the world entirely and I, I wear really plain clothes and I don't wear makeup and my hair's only a certain way and I, and I do X, Y, or Z, well then I'm holy. No, you still probably have trouble with bitterness and forgiveness and your mouth and lust will still get in and creep in and overtake your life he's trying to help us understand where the real power comes from it actually comes from the spirit of god living deep on the inside of us and how do we find ourselves tapping into our inmost being of who jesus is allowing the life of god to grow in us there were some things that Paul was addressing here. And one of the things that he was addressing was the dangers of deception. Because deception is dangerous. Deception leads you to believe something true-ish. But takes you off course of what is actually true. We live in a day in a world, friends, where everybody is looking to expose some conspiracy. Everybody's looking to expose what is fake. Everyone is looking to uh, uncover something hidden that, that isn't true. Everybody is spending time looking to expose something to, to find even in the church these heresy hunters 
trying to undermine, like they, they don't really go to church, they don't really love the Lord, but they're going to dismantle everything that anyone would ever teach or say about God because they're just looking for some heresy to expose, looking for some falsehood to examine and perpetuate, just, just looking to, to distort what is true. We're always on the lookout for something that's not true. Here, here's the problem is if you spend all your time looking for something that isn't true, you have no idea what is true when it comes along. I've heard this illustration that those who work um, in like the FBI dealing with counterfeit money, they don't spend any time examining counterfeit bills. They spend all of their time studying, examining, touching, and handling, and looking, and learning about the real bills so that when they come in contact with a counterfeit they know it right away so the so the re, the answer to avoiding the deception is to spend all of your time with what is really true and if we're spending all of our time looking and being on the alert for what is wrong or what is untrue we won't know what's true if it hit us in the face but if you spend all of your time looking at the perfect law of love in the scriptures of who Jesus is, when something contrary to Jesus or counterfeit to his sufficiency comes along, you'll be able to sniff it out right away. Deception is quite dangerous. And the church in Colossus that Paul was writing to here in the book of Colossians was in danger of being deceived on some things. What was, what was the threat to their, to their peace and the purity? Well, Warren W. Wearsby says it like this. The, the threat was this. It was a combination of Eastern philosophy, Jewish legalism, with elements of what is called Gnosticism. These three big things. Specifically, what does that look like? Well, let me break it down into four components of deceptive dangers that they were dealing with that if I'm really, really uh, honest, that we today still deal with in our own way. Here they are, number one, Gnosticism. What, what is Gnosticism? Gnosticism is this um, idea, uh, uh, an argument of, that's really trapped in human philosophy, which is simply the rudiments of worldly knowledge. Gnosticism is this uh, belief and separation that everything material or physical is evil and bad. And the spiritual things are completely separate, and that's the only thing that is good. In other words, the chair you are sitting on is evil and should be avoided. Enjoying life and having dinner with friends, well, that's wrong. Like, that's material. That's, that's fleshly. That's ungodly. You can never do something like that. Friends, the Bible teaches, though, that what we do physic in the physical and what happens in the spiritual actually linked and intertwined. That they're one and the same. We live in the overlap of these things. That's why what you do in the physical impacts your spiritual life and what happens in your spiritual life impacts your physical life. This is why we pray. It, if these two worlds were separate and they never interceded and inter interconnected, then why pray? Because prayer wouldn't change anything. Prayer wouldn't do anything. Prayer wouldn't help you commune with God because you're too human to encounter God. And it wouldn't impact anything. It wouldn't change anything. No, no. 
This Gnosticism comes in and says, well, let's just crucify and mortify and get rid of. And they also had this element where in Gnosticism, they would uh, elevate angelic visitations and they would worship these angelic visitations. And so if somebody said or claimed to have had a divine encounter with God, they automatically were elevated as trusted and said to believe more than any ancient scriptures or text. In other words, let's say a man says he had a vision from an angel and he developed an entire denomination and cult following and everybody started following him just because he had this angelic visitation rather than holding true to what scripture says and gathered everybody around and says, here's how we're going to live, here's what we're going to do, here are the rules to living and creating these cult-like things all because of angelic visitations. Now, I believe that God uses angels. I believe God speaks to us in dreams. I think there are spiritual elements of how God speaks to us. All those things can be true, but they all in line and support and, and coordinate with what Scripture already teaches us. Can I tell you how the Gnosticism of our day shows up in our common day, in our common language, this, this idea of separation and how, how the philosophies of human knowledge is elevated over what is true and what God has said? Here's, here's how it sounds. It sounds something like this. I feel like this is true. Or I think this is what is true. I think this is what God is like. I feel like this is what's right. Versus... The Christian faith and the Christian belief would be something like this. I believe blank is true because scripture reveals it to be true. I, I, I feel like God is this because scripture says God is like this. Uh, let me give you a really, really clear picture of it. I feel like my body is my choice. Scripture says... Your body is not your choice, but rather it's been bought with the high price of Christ's blood, 1 Corinthians 6. Therefore, your body belongs to the Lord. So what you do in this body is meant to honor him and honor him alone. See how it's subtle? Well, I, I really feel like that's, that's not really how God would want it. And I feel, okay, sh- show, me, show me the scriptures that back up your feelings. And if we can walk through the scriptures and see, listen, can, can I say it this way? I believe the Bible is true. Uh, but it's not only true because it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible because it's true. I'm not devaluing scripture. I'm actually elevating. In other words, before it was ever written in the Bible, it was still true. Before it was ever penned and put together in the collections, it still was true. Why? Because you can't change an immutable truth. It's always been and always will be true. That's the nature of truth. Which is why we want to spend our time in the truth of God's word, being shaped by him, and renewing the minds of our sinful minds so that it aligns with the spirit that is true that he's birthed inside of us in salvation. This is why your mindset matters. Because it is renewing to the ultimate truth of God and who he said. And how do we begin to live our life as righteous? We live our life as righteous because our minds begin to be renewed to the truth of what God has said. 
N.T. Wright says it like this, Gnosticism triumphs when it triumphs. The the liberal version of it says we are free to reinvent Christianity as a movement of personal self-discovery. While on the flip side, the other extreme of Christian or uh, current Gnosticism, the conservatives says this world is not my home. I am just passing through. So it doesn't matter what I do to the earth and it doesn't matter what I do to my body because after all, I'm getting another one. A separation of what is material and spiritual. No, 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 friends. It's linked. That's why we cannot say, well, I can intellectually agree and say something is true about God, but then live a different direction as if that's not true and be okay. You cannot. Those two things are linked. The the second big danger of deception that they were falling into and that we fall into is legalism. Legalism is a strict adherence to customs and regulations as a way to make you right or restore you. Friends, customs don't restore us or earn us anything. Acting like a Jew won't save you. Acting like Jesus is the way forward. Was Jesus a Jew? Sure. But we don't need to go and everybody needs to have a Passover meal. No, you're not a Jew. It's really okay everybody's got to do this we got to reclaim our the jewish heritage unless you were born and your dna is that that's not really what you have to do why because you and i are gentiles most of us and we've been grafted into the family of god brought into him through christ and so most of the customs and and things that that the jews all kept were actually shadows pointing them to jesus and actually they need to recognize that it's jesus turn to jesus and recognize that being a jew doesn't save you being being submitted and surrendered to the life of jesus is what saves us and makes us new That doesn't devalue a heritage in some way. It just means that I don't need to pretend like I'm in that heritage because I'm actually a child of God, not a child of a nation. This is, there's a difference between ancient practices and legal requirements. Ancient practices are good practices and disciplines that help point us to Jesus. Legalism says the whole point is the act. The whole point is doing this. The whole point is that. And he uses like new moon festivals and he references all of these things. And then he says like Sabbaths. Well, Sabbath, the, the best way to understand Sabbath is recognizing the principles behind some of those things rather than falling prey to the legalism of those things. Many people have asked, well, isn't the Sabbath Saturday? Why don't we worship on Saturday? Well, we don't worship on Saturday because the early church pretty much recognized that the day we celebrate is the day Jesus rose from the dead because he's the culmination of all those things. So why do we worship and gather on Sunday? Because Jesus was risen from the dead on Sundays. And it's a pretty convenient end to our week. Some people are like, well, we don't need to keep a Sabbath. That's true. You're you're not going to get to heaven if you faster or better if you keep or don't keep keep a Sabbath. But the principle of, of Sabbath is super important to your life. See, because we think going on vacations and escaping our life is going to refresh our souls. But every time you come back from a vacation, what? You need a vacation from your vacation. Why? Because escaping for a week at a time and spending a lot of money isn't going to rectify bad rhythms and routines in your life that damage you week in and week out. The principle of the Sabbath is to stop and to recognize and honor God and enjoy the delight of who he is every week so that we don't lose sight of what is true and the gift that is his life. I think principled living is an intentional living. Jesus said Sabbath wasn't made for man. 
but rather man was made for the Sabbath. In other words, we aren't a slave to the rules of Sabbath, but rather we recognize that a Sabbath helps sustain and it serves us as we grow in our faith in God. It's there as a gift. So, so, so Gnosticism and these legalisms that were trying to distort and dangerous deceptions that people were falling into still fall into today. The third is this idea of false mysticism, a worship of angelic visitations, angelic dreams, kind of getting overly spiritualized on some things, overly aware of like trying to always live in the transcendent spiritual realm. Well, we live on the earth, so keep your feet on the ground, please. The danger of false mysticism today sounds like this. It's seen in magic, seen in crystals, positive affirmation, and trying to bring good vibes and right frequencies. What you need is the life of the Spirit growing more and more in you. Is there like Christian mysticism or mystics? Were there Christian mystics? Yeah, there sure were. These were people who really, we would say it like this, uh, believed in the fullness of the person of the Holy Spirit and operated in a life connected with him. Another word we would use these days are charismatics. Like, I believe in the power of God. Why? Because the Bible reveals the power of God. I believe that God heals. I believe he speaks. I believe his Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. I believe what the Bible teaches is what the Bible reveals to us about who God is and the power of God. I don't need crystals. I don't need magic. I don't need positive affirmations. And I don't need good vibes and having reattuned my frequencies. I need the life of the Spirit of God growing in me as I yield to him day in and day out. Because it's in him that we live and move and find our very being according to the scriptures. And then the fourth area that they were falling prey to is this asceticism. This idea that all desire and physical enjoyment or natural enjoyment should be crucified and killed and cut away in your life. Like the more painful and agonizing and unenjoyable your life is, the more holy you are. No. Like the... Like, like, if it's fun and it's enjoyable and you find a celebration in it, like, like celebrating a birthday or somebody's life, like, no, you can't do that. That's not of God. Well, that's not true either. This life God has blessed us with is meant to be enjoyed. He's given us delight and things of fun. Avoiding things of fun and enjoyment and the things that God's given you and created a desire in you, that doesn't make you more holy. That makes you more grumpy. Like, like there are things God has created and given you desires that help you enjoy the life that he's created and wants to do it with you. The question is, is the desire an end to itself or does the desire help direct you to encounter God more? That's the difference. I love getting to play golf. Can I, I can't tell you the number of times I'm out on the golf course and in those moments, I am not just focused on my golf game, I'm actually just enjoying the moment with God. I'm going to preach a whole sermon one day about lessons about God from the golf course. I don't know. Maybe I'll preach it on a Father's Day or something like that. <laughs> Controlling your tongue is one of the lessons, by the way. <laughs> really? Like, there are things that God has given. Next Sunday, 
I'm going to sit and I am going to enjoy the Super Bowl to the glory and wonder of God, and I'm going to thank him for a Chiefs victory. (laughs) And then I'm going to thank him even if they don't win, but I hope and pray that they do. I'm going to enjoy life. Why? Because not enjoying life doesn't make me more godly. Rather, I want all of my life to be centered on Christ and point in his direction. The danger with these deceptions is that deception rarely shows up as deception right away. Most deception starts as a distraction. Distractions often precede uh, distract. Distractions often precede deception. See, before you're ever deceived, you'll be distracted. Today's currency is not time; it's attention. Have you ever heard that time is money? Not anymore. Your attention is money. People are making thousands and millions based on what you give your attention to. I remember a couple of weeks ago, I was scrolling uh, on Instagram reels, as one does. And this guy popped up and he says, I want to help you. Instagram pays me X amount every month for views on my videos. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just illuminates so quick in my heart, in my spirit, in my mind. The the thought came, they're not paying for your time. They're paying for your attention. The enemy of your soul is trying to lead you into deceptive things one moment of attention at a time. Your attention, your distractions will ultimately lead us to a place of deception distractions need to be pruned from our lives pruned back from our lives leon morris says it like this in a vineyard fruitfulness is not simply desirable it is imperative that's the whole point of a vineyard it is what the vineyard is for pruning is resorted to ensure that this takes place left to itself a vine will produce a good deal of unproductive growth. For maximum fruitfulness, extensive pruning is essential. This is a suggestive figure for the Christian life. The fruit of Christian service in life is never the result of allowing the natural energies and inclinations within us to run riot. As a church, we're focusing this year on this word essential. Pruning towards a flourishing life because more isn't always better this is our focus this year as a church this is our focus this year as individuals that we're honing in on this is what we're doing as a staff even with the ministries in our church we're we're examining the attention we're giving to things wondering if what we're giving our attention to is actually producing the flourishing life of God in us or is it just distracting us with christian busyness the questions we need to ask in our life as it relates to the things that have our attention the things that often distract us is does this help produce the life of God in us Does this help me lead others to find God? Does this grow my gratitude? Or is it fueling my comparison? 
Does this grow my thankfulness or is it fueling a sense of entitlement in me? These are great questions to examine of our days, of our lives. Let me ask you another question for, for you to consider. What are some of the limits that you can begin to embrace in your life? What are the areas of your life where you really don't have many limits on? Anything that we're unwilling to place a limit on eventually becomes an idol that we give our affection to. And most of those things are self-centered and self-absorbed and centered around what we like versus the priority that God has established. Uh, let's take clothing, for example. What are some limits you can embrace around your wardrobe? Not just stuff that you haven't worn in forever, but, but what would it look like to go through and pare down even the options of what you have? Simplifying some things. What would that look like? To, to, to not buy, 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 but just place some limits on some stuff. This is actually an experiment I've been doing for a little while in my own life. What are the things I can, I can get rid of? What, what are the, the, how, can I, how can I reduce down some of even the fashion and the things that, that as, as a pastor, I've got a lot of different wardrobes sometimes I feel like I have to wear. People like to get married and somehow they keep dying. So like, got to have appropriate attire. Somehow a t-shirt and pants just doesn't cut it at most of those environments. They're like, here we go. So like, there are some things that I realize, like I'm not going to get all the way down to wear the same exact color shirt and the same exact color pants every day of my life, but boy, that would sure simplify some things. Think about the energy you put into thinking about your outfit before church or work or school or X. What if there were some, what, could you simplify some things? What about uh, video streaming services? What if you just limited it down to one video streaming service? Hulu or Netflix, not and Netflix. What, Netflix or Prime Video, not and Prime. Like, what if you just limited it to one? Well, if I limit it to one, I'm going to miss this show on this platform that I really like, and it's only exclusively on this. Uh-huh. You mean you'll have to limit the attention that you give to shows? Huh? <laughs> what an idea. Oh, I'm glad you're laughing. Let's talk about sports. <clears throat> More specifically, the sports your children are in. What, what if you limited your children just to one sport that caused you to travel on the weekends? Well, then they'd have to pick, and then they wait. I, I hear you. Attention. Siphoning things away. We're all being discipled and formed by something. Our kids are no different. Many of us, our kids know more about sports than they know about the sovereignty of our Savior. I don't have a problem. I like sports. I like sports a lot. My kids like video games. They like video games a lot. But I want my son to know more about Jesus as king and his rule and his reign than he does about how to get a victory royale in Fortnite. I have no problem with those things. We, we get to enjoy the life that we're living. Listen, listen. It's not about getting rid of enjoyment. It's about limiting distractions so that what is essential can actually begin to flourish. Podcasts. I love podcasts. What if you started paring down the number of things that you're listening to? Increasing the amount of time you give to the word. What about a monthly budget? 
not just paring down a budget. Most of us probably just need to have a budget. You write down a budget. Make a plan for your money where you can prune and intentionally point your finances in the direction that it needs to go, what's essential for your finances. What, what about screen time? Like on your devices. Like put, so, put some limits on the amount of time you're on apps and things, and then when the alert comes and says you're out of time, don't just type in the screen, to, screen time password so you get more time. Guilty. Like, what if we just embraced some limits and pruned away some distractions? Not sins, not wrongful things. Those things need to be cut out too. But what if we just pruned back the things that have our attention? Listen, when we cut out non-essentials out of our lives, we no longer choke the life of the essentials from flourishing. Because the distractions in our life are siphoning away from the most important things flourishing correctly in your life. We think options give us a sense of control and comfort. Well, if I have a lot of options, I feel like I'm in control. I, I think it's opposite. I think the more options we give ourselves, the more crippling our productivity and effectiveness is. Too many options create indecision and lead to a lack of clarity and purpose in your life. The Bible says without clear vision, people throw off all restraint. How does the world get so evil? We lost a clear vision of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And we've just thrown off all restraint. Do what we want, when we want, what we think and feel is best. We can busy ourselves right into unfruitfulness. You can busy yourselves doing Christian programming and activity, listening to Christian podcasts right into unfruitfulness. We can busy ourselves right into hell. One distraction at a time. Because distraction always precedes deception. The paradox is this. Limits increase your fruitfulness doesn't make sense but it does limits increase your creativity limits that you place on your life increases your fruitfulness you can do more by doing less we believe as a church this power of focus in that if if we will focus on a few things we can do those few things really really well and see fruitfulness in those areas we're not trying to create a church with programs for everything. Program this, an event here, a bazaar here, a table thing here, and this thing, and this and it. We're not busy with lots of things. No, we choose focus on a few things that are high priorities for us. What does that look like? We believe that we are focused. We prioritize things like prayer, discipleship, and outreach partnerships. This is what we do as a church. Really, really simple. We don't have 7,000 things going on. It's real, real simple. Why? Because uh, we really want to make boring fruitful again. We want to bring boring back. If there's a Justin Timberlake song rolling in your head, I'm sorry. Like we, we, we want to bring it back. Why? Because the Bible says it's long obedience in the same direction that produces the fruitfulness of God. It's abiding in Christ, not being busy for Christ. Yeah. 
our, our Venn diagram that I showed you last week is this picture of kind of three circles uh, intersecting. And at the center of it is the radiant life. What, what we are all about is the radiant life of God growing in you. And we don't think that it's just about a step into experiencing something transformative and then a step into a counterformation and then a step into a, a essential mission and then we're done. No, no, it's an ongoing life of abiding in the transforming presence of God. And, and an ongoing experience and participation in the counterformation. An ongoing recognition of the essential mission that we're on. It's all of these things ongoingly. Here, here at, a church, at our church, we talk a lot about next steps. Over the next uh, months and, and years, you'll probably hear us use that phrase less. Can I tell you why? inadvertently what has happened is many of us hear next steps and we think, well, once I do that and I do that and I do that, I'm good. The problem is that's not the life of Christ. The life of Christ is an abiding understanding, a circle of ongoing time in the presence of God that transforms us. It's an ongoing part of discipleship growing in the ways of Jesus, being formed into his ways and out of the ways of the world. It's ongoing participation in the essential mission of following Jesus, representing him in our world, ministering to the Lord and ministering to each other. It's, it's, on, it's not one and done, it's one and ongoing. It's not one and then let's move to a new thing and a new fad and a new study and a new this. No, no, no. It's, we're going to open our Bibles and we want to challenge you to read the Bible every single day. And when you miss one day, don't miss two. And if you miss two days, don't miss three. And if you miss three days, call a pastor and repent. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. 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 It's not true. Just don't miss four. Right? Like, this is what we're after. Well, pastor, we need a new Bible study, and we need to study this, and this new book came out, and this thing came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Wonderful. The Bible is what you need. Well, that's kind of boring. I'm tired. Yeah, exactly. We're bringing boring back because boring is fruitful. We're not trying to busy your life with Christian activity because you can busy your life with, Christ, with Christian activity and still have trouble forgiving people and still not want to be vulnerable about your life and still want to put on a show every time you come into these doors and still not lift your hands in worship and still not know how to pray and talk to the Lord on your own and still not know what you believe it to be true and falling prey to all sorts of lies and deceptions because you've distracted yourself in the name of Christianity and not borne any fruit in your life. The remedies to distraction is a priority and a limitation to the attentions, to our attention in our lives. This is why we want to keep our eyes on Jesus and pursue his presence. Pursue his presence more than anything else. In Psalms 130, there's a reference to watchmen or, or sentries, depending on the, the version that you're reading. And a watchman in a century was somebody who would stand on the walls of the city, specifically at night, and be on lookout for anything adverse or an adversary of sorts trying to make its way into the city where the people lived, where the life was. And in Psalms 130, it, it talks about, Lord, from the depths of my soul, I look for you. 
From like the deep recesses of my innermost being, I look for your strength and your love and your presence. And it says this, like a watchman or a sentry at night on guard, looking. I am looking for you, Jesus. My attention isn't for evil. My, my attention isn't trying to, 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 to notice this or find this or disprove this. No, no, my attention isn't to YouTube shorts and to TikTok theology. My attention, God, is to behold your face, oh God to know you and your presence, oh God, because it's the presence of God that sustains us, that fills us, that strengthens us to live this life. It's abiding in the very presence of all-powerful God, and He lives in you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in your inmost being. John says, from your inner being will flow rivers of living water, not salty water, not bitter streams, living water. The living water that you need to be refreshed in every single day already dwells inside of the believer. You don't need magic crystals and vibes and positive affirmations. You need presence of God sitting with Him and allowing His love to wash over you. In his book, Resilient, John Eldridge writes about this depth of our inner being. And he says it like this. So think of it again. The God of shooting stars and swirling galaxies. The Lord who sustains all things by his powerful word. Hebrews 1.3. Lives in you. What if you could draw upon the glorious energy and power? It could change things for sure. In order to tap into that wild strength, we have to tap in to God. Like a tree sends its roots down deep in the subterranean world, we must learn to tap into the presence of God where he resides within us, deep in our inmost being. And it's accessible to us anytime we need it. The strength of God lives in you and you can tap into it anytime you need it. But it's going to require that you travel and remove some distractions to get to the deep well within you. In his book, he talks about kind of traveling through ourselves. He calls it the shallows, the midlands, and the depths. The shallows are the places of flighting thoughts and distractions. The minute I said shallows, some of you automatically, oh, it's raining outside. Our ponds are pretty shallow. I hope the rain is filling the ponds and the lakes. I can't wait for the summer to come. I really need to go buy a new bathing suit this summer. But at first, I need to make sure I get to working out so I can look good in the swimsuit that I want to sit around in sun. Oh man, how I long for the sun. I really like the sun. I can't wait to be able to go for a walk outside without bundling in 17 layers and freezing uh, my nose hairs off. And, and I really, I really, really want to go for a walk. Oh, I wish I could go walk with mom right now. I haven't gotten to walk with mom in forever. I would just sit and talk and I really wanted, I really need to call mom and see, see how the fleeting thoughts and most of us never get into the presence of God and the depths of our soul because we can't get past the shallow, fleeting thoughts in our mind. 
And if we could ever transverse past the shallows, we'll find ourselves in the Midlands. And in the Midlands is what the Bible refers to as the cares of this life. The weighty things where we're worried about our kids and we're worried about the finances and we're, we're, we're worried what, what's going to happen with that relationship that we just had a fight in. And, and, we're, and we're, we're worried about the purpose of our life and the plans that God has for us. And have we disqualified ourselves from the love of God? And we're sitting in the deep worries and cares of this life. The things that weigh us down and get heavy. And how are we going to make it better? How do I feel significant again? What's my purpose? The weighty things of our life. But if we ever could get through the Midlands and descend into our inmost being, into the depths where the presence of God dwells in us, where the, where the spirit who raised Christ from the dead resides in us, and we could just drink from that well of living water within us. Oh, how we could be refreshed each and every day, each and every morning, each and every night, each and every noonday, where, where we're not distracted but we're deeply connected to the presence of God because the presence of God is what changes everything. So, so how do we get there? First, we turn our attention to him. Just begin to thank him for who he is, recalling correctly who he is. We give him our attention. Instead of our distractions and our fleeting thoughts, we allow our thoughts to be on Jesus then we give him our anxieties. What are the things you're holding on to? The disappointments, the concerns, the worries. Just give them to him. Literally, out loud, God, I give you this disappointment. I give you this concern. I give you this care. The Bible says, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. And, and then we get to give him our affection as we abide in his love. We just get to sit, worshiping him, honoring him, welcoming the spirit in us, breathing deeply of the life of the presence of God. I want to end today by doing that together. I'm going to lead on the microphone my own moment of traversing into the depths of who I am and where the spirit of the Lord is. I want to invite you to do the same right where you're seated. You'll be able to offer your own murmur of praise but what are we going to do we're going to start by just turning our attention to God just thanking God for who he is then begin to give him the things that you're carrying your worries your anxieties what are the things that matter the, the, the things that you're carrying today that you're lamenting today that you're worried about today tell him and then we're going to just allow our adoration, our affection for him to allow us to sit in the abiding love of Jesus in this moment. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? If you'd like, maybe posture your hands out, kind of just in front of you, open on your lap. It's a great way just to be receptive and just take a couple deep breaths. And as I lead out on the microphone, you can whisper and have your own moment with the Lord. So Lord, here we are, 
longing to see you and know you and experience the strength of your presence. Lord, we turn our attention to you. Lord, all the things that are fleeting through our mind, Lord, we just choose to put our thoughts on you, Jesus, that you're our Savior, that you came to us, that you loved us, that you died for us, that you are the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. You rule and you reign. Jesus, you are so wonderful to us. Father, there are things that we're carrying today, things that I'm carrying, God, decisions that I know I need to make. This week, God, some things that I was just keenly aware of the disappointment that I experienced. God, right now, I give you those things. I give those anxieties over to you. Things I can't control that I wish I could. God, I give that to you right now. And I say, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill me? May I abide in your love right now. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we want to abide in you and your presence and your strength in us. Though we receive of your living water today. Thank you, Jesus, for being with us. Holy Spirit, for abiding in us. Lord, we say thank you for the peace of your presence in us. Restoring our souls today. In Jesus' name, amen. I really hope today's message was life-giving. As a church, we want to help you encounter God and take another next step in your allegiance to Jesus. I want to ask you to take a step right now, in fact. Would you just share this message with a friend? Maybe post it on your social, text a coworker the link. Just be sure to include something that you learned or how it impacted you personally. When you do that, you get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in someone else. And don't forget to visit our central hub, faithchurchks.org. You'll find other next steps that you can take in your faith, including giving and partnership with us as we help others encounter Jesus like you've encountered him. Hey, we love you. And until we get to hang out again, remember, don't shrink back from your faithful allegiance to King Jesus.